0: Man, you look good. Great to see you today. Welcome to Grace. We're glad you're here. I do, as you're taking your Bible and turn to Luke 22, Luke 22, I do want to mention several important folks here in our church family and ask for your prayers. We're going to have a special time of prayer at the end for each of these families. First, the John Bruin family. I understand Miss Natalie is with us right here today. Miss Natalie, our heart is so uh, heavy for you and your family, but. We know Brother John is with the Lord. Uh, Many of you remember John Bruin as a UT football star, also played for the NFL. Um, His son Noah will be graduating soon uh, from GCA. and uh, Natalie, we love you, and we're here for you, okay? So appreciate you telling me that John wanted the gospel and an invitation at his service. I'm already excited about the life God's gonna bring, even from this. I want you to remember the Ann Moore family. Many of you love Ann and Eve's and her mother went home to be with the Lord. She and Brother Herman had been married 67 years and together 70 years. He went home to be with the Lord just a bit ago and she was ready to see both her Lord and her husband. So God sweetly took her home last night. I want you to remember our young Marine, Benji Bash. He is continuing to have surgeries in Eastern North Carolina after a horrific motorcycle accident. Alex and Denise, his parents are still there with Benji and he was having another surgery yet today. And then another one of our wonderful Grace families and uh, GCA families, Randy Davidson. Many of you know Brother Randy. He went for a heart transplant just a couple of days ago at Vandy. Uh, unfortunately, that organ, I think, was bruised, but he is on the list, and any day now he's going to go. Jesus gave him a new heart years ago. Now he's going to get a new heart from the docks. So we thank God for that. You'll remember Randy in your prayers. And so we've been uh, in Genesis most of the year, right? And then I told you I was going to take a little break through Easter. So I'm doing a three-part series. This week, Selling Out the Savior. Next week, Mocking the Messiah. And then which side are you on? Easter this year is going to be extremely evangelistic. We have seen record numbers of members coming, baptisms and all of that. So I've I've prayed through this and thought through this. And I really want to make it an evangelistic push for those that are what we would call CEO Christians, Christmas and Easter only, I don't want them to hear just the same thing they've heard. I know that's none of you, but I I don't want them to hear the same thing they've always heard. I do want to speak about the cross and what Jesus has done and the resurrected Lord, but I want to do it in a way that really makes people ask the question, am I right with God? Have I settled accounts? Do I know that I know that I know? And so we're going to start this mini-series with, I think, a very I don't know, I think a very timely word from the Lord, and it's called selling out the Savior. Let me share a quick story with you. There was a police officer who pulled over a speeding car, and the officer said, sir, I clocked you going 80 miles an hour. And the driver said, well, I don't know how that's possible. I had my cruise control set at 60, and maybe you need to check your radar gun. I don't recommend ever using that line with the policeman, by the way. But his wife, who was just kind of up in the front knitting, looked over and said, now, dear, don't be silly. You know this car doesn't have cruise control. (laughs) And he kind of looked at her. He said, what are you doing? Stay stay quiet. And so the wife just kind of demurely smiles. And she says, honey, you better be glad your radar detector went off when it did or you would have gotten a higher ticket. And he said, woman? And the officer said, sir, you know, radar detectors are illegal in this state. That'll be a second ticket. And by the way, he said, "Uh, I noticed you weren't wearing a seatbelt. Oh no, officer, when you pulled me over, I had to unhook it so I could reach back and get my wallet to give you my license. And the wife again speaks up, Now dear, you know you never wear a seatbelt. Why are you telling the nice officer that? Well the guy's had it by now. He just explodes. Woman, why don't you just stop talking? And the officer's concerned. He sort of looks in and he said, Ma'am, does does he always talk to you like that? And she said, No, sir. Just when he's been drinking. betrayed, forsaken, sold out. Now, I hope that's never happened to you. I'm going to be honest with y'all. I'm just thankful to still be a married man after what my wife endured in our basement last night during the Carolina Duke game, because there were several times she said, I'm just going to bed. I can't listen to you anymore. I'm just going to bed. I got slightly animated once or twice. I think there were like 20 lead changes. Did anybody see that? One of the greatest games I've ever seen in all of college basketball. And, and the outcome was just a cherry for me, a Carolina fan, but really, truly a phenomenal game that could have gone any direction, but our boys are playing for a championship tomorrow night and I, for one, am excited. I'm running out of a light blue shirt, so I'm gonna have to figure something out. But, you know, I'm just glad she stuck with me And the truth be told, she's always stuck with me for 27 plus years. But sometimes people don't always stick with you, do they? Sometimes you've been betrayed. Sometimes maybe you've been the betrayer. The Lord Jesus knew what it was like to be sold out by someone that was supposed to be very close to him. And I would submit if you've lived long enough today, you've probably been sold out. Or maybe you've been the one selling Maybe you've been the one that's turned your back on somebody, and I think the Lord has a word for us about this today. I'm sure you're familiar with this story. It can be found in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. I'll use Luke's version here in chapter 22. With that said, stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word, Luke 22, 1 to 6. Now, the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. You guys remember, that's a remembering of what happened in Exodus 12 when God said, I'm going to deliver you from Pharaoh. And if you'll put the blood of the lamb on your doorpost and your lintel, the death angel's going to pass over. I will pass over. Now, I read an article about this in prep for today, something really cool I never thought of. Do you know the Lord never knocked on the door and looked inside to to see who was there? The Lord never took time to see, are the occupants of the house worthy? He simply said, if you apply the blood, you won't face death. The firstborn will be, swear, be spared. Some of you are going to be here today. You're standing up right now, or you're listening, or you're watching now or later, and you're thinking, I'm not worthy of this Savior. You see, it's not about your worth, it's about His perfect sacrifice and His shed blood for you. And so, as the, the pilgrims were gathering, 100,000 plus would gather in the holy city of Jerusalem, and that was incredibly packed in that ancient city, it's not that large. And so as they gathered, this is what they're celebrating. God, your deliverance, not because we deserved it, but because we did what you told us. We sacrificed the lamb, and you spared our firstborn. And God can do the same in your life today. Verse 2, and the chief priest and the scribes sought how they might kill him. Look at this. For they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. And so he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and he sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great word you've given us. I'm so thankful for it, Lord. I pray that you would teach us now through your word and by your spirit, that we'd have eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to receive, and then hands and feet to put into practice what we're going to receive. Probably a lot of us at some time or another have sold out the Savior, either by action or inaction, speaking inappropriately or by our silence. Help us to remember, though, that you give us another chance today and that even when they spit on him, mocked him, even nailed him, Jesus said, Father, forgive them For they know not what they do. Forgive us when and where we fail you. Give us another chance so that we can love you and we can prove our love for you to a watching world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A couple of quick things before we jump in. I just want to mention about that wonderful choir piece. If you want to know where that's from, go home at some point today and reread Psalm number three. Psalm number three, David was being uh, chased by his own son, Absalom, who was trying to overcome him. He was betrayed. David was betrayed by his own son, sold out by Absalom. And he says, Lord, how they've increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there's no help for him in God. Selah. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. So I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Some of you today, maybe you feel sold out. Maybe it was a child that betrayed you. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a friend or a coworker or a neighbor. Maybe it was a pastor, a minister that you trusted and you felt betrayed. God can lift up your head today. And just like he did for David, he can make a way for you to be restored. But let's look at what happened in this narrative now. The religious leaders, if you're taking your grace notes, the religious leaders betrayed Jesus because they feared people more than God. Y'all, I'm not trying to be cute or funny here. I'm just telling you exactly what the text says. It says the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him for they feared the people. You see, in this description of the Passover or what's coming up, we already have Palm Sunday. The crowd's already adoring him. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they lay palm branches before him. Hence Palm Sunday. That's already happened. I know that's not until next week here, but that's happened in the narrative. And so they're gathering in the city and two fateful plans were taking place. Y'all see what's happening? There's a plan of destruction orchestrated by Satan as he enters Judas and the high priest and all of those. A plan of destruction. And simultaneously, by counterpoint, there's a plan of salvation as he's working through the Messiah, through Christ. So salvation and destruction are going to come face to face. Look at verse 2. They thought they could kill him, for they feared the people. Who do we have? Well... So again, those religious folks—the chief priests and the scribes, these religious leaders—these guys knew the Old Testament. They should have seen in Jesus, "This is our chosen one. This is our Messiah." But He didn't come into Jerusalem on the great white steed to conquer the Romans, and they didn't like that. They wanted a Messiah that would give them more political power and more influence and more money and all of the stuff they wanted. But Jesus is lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. He's just so different than what they anticipated, and yet all the other signs are there. The blind are seeing. The deaf are hearing. The lame are talking. Those who are down in the leg are walking. All of these things are happening, and yet they're blinded by the God of their age. And so Jesus has upset their economic and religious power. He's called them out. He's turned their tables over. He said, I'm done with you thieves. My house is a house of prayer, and these fellows don't like it at all. They're plotting secretly, hoping to eliminate him during the Passover season. Remember, the events that are unfolding are according to God's timetable, but they think they're being slick. They think they're being secretive. Passover would be the time for the Lamb of God to die. As John the Baptist rightly said, behold, see, look, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. You see, John understood it. Jesus understood it. But the religious elitists didn't get it. The chief priests and scribes sought to kill him. Well because they phobeo you've heard the word phobeo like arachnophobia if you're terrified of spiders i don't know anybody like that but maybe you do but you have a fear a terror you're you're literally you have a fear of a great fear phobeo and so that's what it says they feared not god they feared the people they would have tried to take jesus and kill him immediately but they were afraid of the people people from all over the area were gathered together The religious leaders weren't able to explain away his miracles. They couldn't deny that he taught with authority. They couldn't prove that he was not the Messiah. They didn't want change. They had it all going for them. They didn't want change because they were the elites. Watch, John 11, look on the screens with me. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary had seen the things that Jesus did. You remember Mary and Martha, brother of Lazarus? Jesus brought forth Lazarus from the tomb. And some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. This guy's raising the dead. And the chief priests and Pharisees gathered a council and said, what are we going to do? This man works many signs. Watch. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And look, and the Romans will come and take away our place. Oh, I like this part of the stage better. They'll take away our place. Do you see it? Like toddlers. They're going to take our nation. They're going to take our place. They're going to take our toys. Because of this Jesus. And Caiaphas, watch this, he was high priest that year. He said, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Don't you know it's expedient that one man should die for the people and that that the whole nation shouldn't perish? Caiaphas was clueless. He didn't know what he was saying, but he was fulfilling prophecy. You see what the Bible says? He didn't say it on his own authority. But he prophesied Jesus would die for the nation, not just the Jewish nation, but for all of the children of God scattered. And on that day, look, the end, on that day, they plotted to put him to death. We don't want change. We don't want it to look different, we don't want it to feel different, we want our power and our position, and the only Messiah we'll accept is one who'll overthrow the government, and if he'll overthrow the government, we'll be okay. Christians, listen to me. You may be concerned about what's going on in the state of our nation and our world right now. I am telling you, God will not save us from Washington, D.C., or a political party. He will always and only save us through his son, Jesus Christ. We don't put our hope just in government. I see the stickers just like you do. I see the president pointing at the gas pump going, I did that. I see that like you, okay? It hurts to fill up my truck that has 36-gallon tank. It is painful, but my salvation doesn't come from the United States government. I serve a bigger king than we'll ever have in our nation. And so I want us to remember this. They wanted a political leader. And if they couldn't have a political leader, they didn't want anything to change. And they were whiny together. In fact, look at John 12. Even among the rulers, many believed him. Guys like Joseph of Arimathea, guys like Nicodemus came to believe in Christ. But because of the Pharisees, they kept quiet. They didn't confess him. Look, look, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Why? Why? Here it is, guys. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. If you want to put a smile on anybody's face more than the Lord, you're going to sell out at some point. There are a lot of preachers that have sold out. There are a lot of churches that have sold out. There are a lot of Christian folk that have sold out because they're afraid of people. Why? Are they willing to betray the Lord? I just wrote it like this. The religious elitists didn't want to lose their power, their positions, their prestige, their popularity. I started running out of peas, so I just stopped. (laughs) But you get the idea, right? They just didn't want anything to change. They knew the hearts of the people were turning to Jesus. They feared the people more than God. They heard them yell, Hosanna. They heard them yell, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They knew they were losing their grip. And you say, shame on them. They should have known better. Are we much different, though, honestly? What about contemporary Christians? Do we ever betray the Lord because we fear people more than God? Do you think there's any politically correct preaching going on today? Do we in our educational spheres ever betray the Lord? I remember going to church with a young lady in North Carolina, and we were in a college class together, and she was very faithful in church. But in this particular class, we had a very anti-Christian prof who brought in very anti-Christian guest speakers. And I'll never forget the day I heard her starting to agree with the very ungodly person in leadership in the classroom. And I know it came down to one simple thing. I want you to think I'm smart, and I want to agree with this person who did not have any love for God, and the 25 or, other, 25 or 30 other college kids in there, they could admire me, but I watched her sell out the Savior, and it made me sick to my stomach. And then the Holy Spirit got all over me, and he said, hey, who do you think you are? You do the same thing, laughing at the joke you shouldn't be laughing at. You do the same thing by silence when you don't speak up, you do the same thing with your filthy mouth when you say things out there on the road. I'm going to be honest with you. Last night, there were a couple times I could have easily lost my witness. Cindy, don't say anything. I love you. <laughs> you weren't recording any of that, were you? No. No, we're smarter than that. The reality is, every one of us, if we've lived long enough, you, you've probably sold Jesus out, out too. You see, I love this old saying. I have no idea where it came from. I couldn't find the origin, but I've said it for years. I've heard it. The path of least resistance makes rivers and people crooked. Yeah, I don't want to have to defend my position. I don't want to have to say anything when the whole world's mocking people of faith. So I'll just go with the flow. Going with the flow makes the river crooked. It finds the weakest part of the soil and the rock, and it cuts a path there. So too in your life. If you want to be crooked, go with the flow. But how many times have things like our silence served as a stamp of approval on sin? One of the biggest pastors in America has been interviewed multiple times, and when asked, Why don't you preach on sin? he'll say, Well, I believe in the good in people, and I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> Where are you going to offend them to? If they're bound for hell, are you going to offend them into a deeper chamber of hell? Why would you do that? And then why would you bother holding this up and saying, this is my Bible, when you're not going to listen to it, preach it, obey it? Why would you do that? Oh, I I got it. Because you like to wear Armani. And you like the adulation and the praise of men. See, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, not the fear of people. It's easy to see how wrong the religious leaders were, but it's much more difficult to look in the mirror and admit when we've participated. And there have been a few times I've caught myself preparing a message and thinking, you you better not say that. You don't have enough time next week to answer all the nasty comments you're gonna get and the emails, maybe the phone. you, You don't have time to deal with that. Praise God, most of those battles are won when the Holy Spirit reminds me that I am called to say, thus, saith the Lord like it or leave it it settles it we are a church of the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth preaching Genesis to Revelation and if it offends take that up with the one who wrote it not the one who repeats it the religious leaders betrayed Jesus because they feared people more than God watch Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus because he loved money more than the Master. Judas loved money more than the master. Satan entered Judas. That's what the Bible says. Satan entered Judas, verse three, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the 12. This was Jesus's boys, three and a half years. He had walked with these guys. But Judas went away and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he would specifically betray him to them. They were glad, so they gave him money. And he said, look, I'm gonna find the opportune moment when he's away from the multitudes, which came, of course, at the Garden of Gethsemane when he was alone praying about the agony to come where destruction and salvation come head to head. Was, was Judas saved? That's a good question. People have asked me that all my ministry. My answer is typically no, because Christians may be oppressed, but true Christians cannot be possessed. You are already possessed as a Christian by the Holy Spirit of the living God. And while Satan may oppress you, that's not what the Bible says here. The Bible says that he possessed, he entered into Judas, meaning that Judas's house was empty. His heart was empty. And I believe he was not lost because he hanged himself. He was not lost due to suicide. He was lost because he never truly let Jesus in. In fact, twice it says he was possessed by Satan on the very lips of the Lord himself in John 13, 27. Jesus mentioned that he was filled with Satan, that Judas was filled with Satan. According to Luke 22, 4 here, Judas met with some of the religious leaders and captains. That means the guys like the temple guard, the security force, and there were some Levites in that gang. And watch this. Don't miss this. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priest. Meaning, I'm not going with Jesus anymore. I'm not going where says go. I'm not getting the upper room ready like the other boys. I'm going my way. And any time you go your way, you are apt to sell out the Savior. He's doing things his way. I could preach a whole other series of sermons on that. But what's he going to do? Betray the Lord. Paradidomi. Paradidomi the word there for betray, to give over, to deliver. I'm going to hand you over. You're to be my confidant, my buddy, my friend, my pal, but I'm ready to give you up like the lady in the car with her husband. I'm going to give you up. That's Betrayal. Jerusalem had somewhere around 100,000 plus people, most Bible scholars tell us, that would come into the city. It wasn't that large in antiquity. Still, the ancient city of Jerusalem, not that big. We'll see it in October. It's a small area, but it swelled with people. So the religious leaders knew it's going to be nearly impossible to find this one guy amongst the crowd because Jesus never lifted himself up. Jesus never wanted to be seen. Let me give you a couple of great quotes. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, said, It's hard to say whether more mischief is done to Christ's kingdom by the power of its open enemies or by the treachery of its pretended friends. But without the latter, its enemies could not do so much evil as they do. You know what leads people to Jesus as well as anything else? A Christian that's really sold out to the Savior. You know what keeps more people away from Jesus than anything else? A so-called Christian who's actually selling out the Savior. Those are two very different things. Those are two very different things. When people look at us and say, hypocrite, I told you, that very, very well-known pastor who just came out in a three-part docuseries, and sure enough, not only was his protege in New York messing with other women, but it comes out that he overindulged, he drank too much, he took pills, he just wanders into a hotel room of a lady that was not his wife and spends 40 minutes there trying to find his way back out and was just fired from probably the largest church network in the world today, certainly the most influential by way of worship music. Now the point is this, consider yourself also lest you fall. I'm not standing here to brag and say, look at me, I've been faithful to my wife. I'm here to tell you that anybody can fall, and you must doubly and triply and quadruply guard your heart and guard your life and guard your spouse and guard your ministry, lest the watching world says, see, look, there's another one. They're all the same. Look at those pastors. It's all about the gold, and it's all about the girls, and it's all about the glory. No, it's only about the glory of God. It's not about the gold, and it's not about the girls. It's about being faithful to the wife of your youth. It's about being faithful to say what Jesus has said. It's about being faithful to do what God has called you to do. And like Jay Vernon McGee said, it is impossible for a Christian to truly be demon-possessed, but... It is very possible, McGee says, for a church member who is not a Christian to be possessed. And that's what happened to Judas, who rejected Jesus. See, Judas was of the the circle, man, 12 people. When Jesus was drawing throngs and throngs of people, Judas was of the 12, and yet he wasn't the real deal. Why did he do it? Well, notice what it says in verse 5. They agreed to give him money. Do you know Matthew 26, 15 says it was specifically 30 pieces of silver? You guys know this, but in Exodus 21, 32, 30 pieces of silver was the price of a common slave. Just a slave price. It wasn't, it was a good amount of money, but it wasn't an exorbitant amount of money. It wasn't going to make Judas rich or anything. But Judas said, Yeah, give it to me. Now later he tried to give it back, but it was too late, wasn't it? And so, as he promised, he sought opportunity to betray the Lord. Because he loved money more than the master. You say, Bobby, wait a minute. Can you prove to me that Judas really loved money that much? Well, I can try. Look at the screens with me for just a second. Look at John 12. And Mary took about a pint of pure nard, which was an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Now, listen to how religious this sounds. Listen to how good this sounds. Why wasn't the perfume sold and the money given to the poor? That sounds very nice. Judas, you make a good point. You you make an excellent observation. Why didn't we sell what this lady had? You could have fed people. I mean, that's worth a year's wages. He didn't say that because he cared about the poor. What's the Bible say? Because he was a thief. He was a keeper of the money bag, and look what he used to do. He used to just put his hands into it whenever he wanted. That's why I said pastors should never have access to the financials of the church as far as an ability or an authority to be able to go in and dip out as they choose. You should be multiple steps away from that because again, the gold, the girls, the glory, the money, the power, the sexual perversion, it has fell many times a man. My question is, was money the real problem? No. My answer is no. It was the love of money that corrupted Judas and opened the door for Satan to come in and control him, right? The love of money. You know, there are a lot of incredible wealthy people who have contributed to the cause of Christ and even the cause of our church. We're buying some land because those of means have come along and said, we wanna bless you in this. God's giving us two more acres to add to a very important side of our campus, and I'm telling you, I'm grateful. Do you know, we would not have near the hospitals or medical care without good, philanthropic, generous Christian people. We have medical care that we have today because of Christian folk. We would not have the educational structure, particularly higher education, without good, giving, philanthropic Christian folk that are generous. Money is not the issue. Some of God's greatest leaders had a lot of money. The problem is what Paul told young Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. It is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. For with it, some have strayed from the faith in greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Because it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because in wealth, we can become self-sufficient if we don't give it back to the glory of God. If we share it, if we are generous, if we give it away as many wealthy folk do, then you know what? God can bless that. God wants to bless that. But you guys know just like I do, money will buy you a bed, but it will not buy you sleep. And money will buy you books, but it will not buy you brains. Money will buy you a house, but money can't buy a home. Money can buy medicine, but can't buy you health. Money can buy all sorts of amusements, but money cannot buy happiness. Money can buy you a religion. You could make up your own with enough money. But it will not buy you salvation. Do you know that money will buy you a passport to go anywhere you want to go except heaven? When the death angel passed over, he didn't knock on the door and say, Hey, did you make a big contribution this week? See, God isn't welcoming people into heaven because of how much they give or not. Is God impressed with our money? Do you think when he's paving his streets with gold that our money means anything to him? But when we are lavish in giving, You know, one of the reasons I believe we're called to not rob God and give tithes and above that offering, you know why I believe we're taught that so frequently in the Bible? And you say, "Ah, ah, 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 tithing's not in the New Testament, tithing's not in the New Testament. You're right, it's called sacrificial giving, which almost universally Bible scholars will say was much higher than a tithe. Do you wanna argue that with me? Let's go, let's talk about it. The reality is this. The reason God makes a lot of this is because it's demonstrating. When I make love of God and giving of my first fruits priority, it proves that I don't have a love of money. I love the master more than I love my money because I realize that every penny I have is only because he gave it to me. Every dime that's ever been earned is because he gave me the ability. But money can blind us, can it not? I'll show you something real quick. Check this out. Watch this right here. Everybody, can everybody, can we get the camera close enough? Can y'all tell what that is? Yeah, call someone who cares. Okay, here's it. I love the fact, I heard that on the radio yesterday, and I, think, and I thought, you know, I think my own children probably don't understand the meaning of that song. Here's a quarter, call someone who cares. Do y'all know that song? Yeah, that's a great tune. But if you grew up without payphones, what would that mean to you, <laughs> Right? My son, when I was presenting the gospel for last year's extra, uh, summer's retreat, he literally looked at a picture of a tape, a cassette tape, and he said, "What is that?" <sighs> I haven't raised my own children right. <laughs> this this quarter, guys, this is little bitty quarter, right? Um, <laughs> I said something in the green room getting ready, and I said something about it being 25 cents, and somebody said, is it really still 25 cents? I know, it mean it's worth less this year than last, but let's be honest, this quarter is a bazillion, zillion, kazillion times smaller than, let's say, our sun, right? I don't even know. You could do the math. You could figure it, but it would be, the zeros would stretch across the stage, I guess, and so this is so much smaller than the sun, but you all know that I can block the entire sun with this quarter, right? What do I have to do? I just have to hold it close enough and I just have to focus on it enough. In fact, I can block out every one of those bright lights up there, right there. I'm in darkness. I'm in darkness right now. This is what your money can do to you if you don't keep your eyes on the Lord. Really, Judas, 30 pieces of silver? You're going to sell out the Savior? I've done it for less, and maybe some of you guys have done it for less. You see, keeping things into perspective is clear, and God, I think, in studying this gave me a perspective that there's this really interesting connection between fear and love. Watch. Why is the Savior often sold out and betrayed? Because of misguided fear or misaligned love. In the Bible, we're told to love God first and then simultaneously love others, second. Now, I say first and second, but the truth is they happen simultaneously. The only way I can really love you is by loving God. And the only way I can truly love God is by loving you, even when we're all unlovable at times. But when temporal things like accumulation of money for personal gain or fear of other people or what they think of us when those things take front and center they cloud my vision they keep me from seeing the sun the s-o-n and we run the risk of selling out the savior so do you fear what people will think listen young people I know we got a lot of young people on tour this weekend they're still in Williamsburg Um, they sent us pictures from the very place Cindy and I met this week The very room where she saw me across the choir loft, and she knew I gotta have that guy. He is hot. I mean, you know. And after I finally, she begged and begged and begged, and I so y'all never heard that, right? (laughs) Our kids were there singing there at William and Mary, and then at the chapel where we got married. I'd marry you again. Would you marry me again after last night? You would maybe. (laughs) You're thinking about it. Yeah, I know. I showed myself a little bit, but it's okay. The hills won, and I asked for forgiveness when you went to bed. So. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, guys. When we think about all of this, when we think about how we sell the Savior out, when we look at things too closely and we keep our eyes off the Lord, we begin to fear them. And you young people that are going to college, because William and Mary was full of people that didn't love the Lord, it'll be very tempting To be a closet Christian. It'll be very tempting when people are using the Lord's name in vain. Telling all manner of filthy joke and whatever it might be. It'll be very tempting for you to just remain silent. And assume by your silence you're sort of protecting everything. That's not true. You're betraying the Lord. You're just giving him over in that moment. I'm not saying you have to beat your buddies over the head with a King James Bible. But we've got to be the ones to be salt and light in a dark world that needs preservation, flavor, and it needs to drive out darkness. Who or what do you fear today? Because if we're honest, all of us have probably sold out Jesus at one point or another. And when we let people or possessions stand in the way of being faithful and we get them so close that we can't see anything else, I'm just very grateful today that Jesus never betrays us. See, he took this betrayal knowing it would happen. He went all the way to Calvary's cross to take your place in mine. And just like the, the, the lamb, the blood of the Passover lamb had to be personally applied, Jesus would say, you must receive me. And if you'll receive my sacrifice on your behalf, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Even when he was being spit upon and mocked and nailed, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because Jesus will never leave us. But we live in a world that has so much betrayal. What have we learned? The religious leaders betrayed Jesus because they feared people more than God. And Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus because he loved money more than the master. He misplaced fear and misplaced love. Love others, but fear God. Have a reverent, holy awe and healthy fear of God. I want to close with a story of betrayal that's all too common. It's one I wish I had not heard multiple times over the last few decades. There was a woman in her mid-30s driving to the grocery store on a Sunday afternoon to buy a couple of weeks' worth of groceries. That's her routine every other Sunday. and She's in her minivan with two precious children in her womb, Her third child continues to grow as the woman now enters into her third trimester. Then a familiar tone comes from her telephone. It's a text message. Her husband is texting to let his wife know that he's betrayed their marriage covenant. For some time now, he's been seeing another woman. And this weakling of a man decides the best way to let his wife know of his shameful sin is a cold text message. The distraught wife nearly wrecks the minivan, but thankfully... She eventually makes it back home. Now, there's more to the story, a lot more to the story. Sounds like the beginning of some twisted Hollywood tale, but it's not. Because in another state some years ago, I'm the one that received the call that told me about that. Because it was someone we knew and loved and tried to minister to and help. And I'd love to tell you it's the only story of betrayal that I've been... Exposed to in the last 23 plus years, but it's not even close to the only story Some of you under the sound of my voice have felt the sting of betrayal Marriage vows broken lives shattered children sad and confused What may be going on in our world? People don't fear the Lord When a pastor is so drunk, he stumbles into the room of a woman who's not his wife and and stays and then pretends as though that's not a big deal. People don't fear the Lord. People love their temporal pleasure more than their spouse and their witness for Christ. And we need to stay prayed up and protected up because we too may fall lest we stay protected. And maybe you're here this morning and you've been betrayed by a spouse Betrayed by someone you thought was a friend, that really hurts, doesn't it? Hurts worse than a physical punch. You've been betrayed by another family member, a coworker, betrayed by a church, betrayed by a pastor. There have been a few pastors in my life, and I think the reason I'm so legalistic about a few things in my life is there have been a few pastors that have betrayed their call. As Melissa joins me, on the platform to to play this wonderful old hymn of our faith. I want to remind you of something. Only, now listen to this, only God himself will never let you down, never leave you nor forsake you, and he will only be a friend that sticks closer than a brother, a very present help in time of trouble, the lifter of your head. The Bible says we can cast our care on him right now because he wants to bring hope and healing into our hearts, our homes, our lives. And maybe... Maybe you've been the betrayer. Maybe you've betrayed someone. It may not be infidelity. It may not be that far down the road. But maybe you've even sold out the Savior at times. There's hope for us all. Because God wants us to confess our sins and the Bible says he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done for you, remember, God is not the God of a second chance. You blew it long ago, as did I. God is the God of another chance. And today, this day, April the 3rd, 2022, you get another chance. You say, how do I know I get another chance? Because your heart is still beating. That's how I know God's given you another chance. You mean God hadn't given up on me? Friend, if God had given up on you, you wouldn't be here. You'd be gone. The very fact that you are alive, the very fact that you are listening or tuned in is the fact that God is giving you another chance. Whether you are betrayed or the betrayer, you can come back today. Whether you are the prodigal son or you are the father, you can come back today and you can find reunion and restoration. Learn from the word of God. Listen to the spirit of God. Stand with your family of faith, lovingly but firmly proclaiming the truth of the Lord Jesus. And may it never be said of Grace Baptist Church, Church, that any of us could be accused of selling out the Savior. Stand with me this morning, and let me encourage you to do something in our time of invitation. Number one, if you need to trust Christ, if you need to make him Lord and Savior of your life, I'm going to be down here, Miss Cindy, pastors, counselors, right after we dismiss. The invitation continues right over here. Come see us. Number two, there are a lot of people that need prayer. I mentioned some at the front of the service, or at the front of the sermon, I'm gonna ask you to come. Many of you have been praying for the last month or so, give or take for Benji Bash. If it were my kid laid up there getting operation after operation after operation, facing some excruciating, painful, painful nights and days, I would ask for my church family to come over and over. He said, I've already prayed. Then ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Come for the Bash family. They would love and appreciate you to pray for them. Pray, please, for the Bruin family, as I mentioned, Miss Natalie. Noah's still on the trip. They're coming back, Miss Natalie, tomorrow, right? So pray for those kids. He's been a light to mine, by the way. Your son's been a light to my son. Your son's been a light to my daughter. We talked to them yesterday. I'm telling you, when your boy got up before that bus and said he was so happy that his earthly father was with his heavenly father, that spoke to a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old. I just want you to know that. It's a powerful witness to my family. Thank you for that. Pray for the Bruins. Pray for the Moore family. Pray for Brother Randy, who's going to get a new heart. There's a lot we can pray for. God knows these folks, even if you don't. And I'm calling you out to pray. So as I begin to pray, if you're led... Join us at this altar for just a few moments. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the power of prayer when we can seek your face, when we can seek hope and healing even in the hurt, when it seems as those we love are just gone too quickly, we know that we know because they are in Christ, they are forever home, healed forevermore in perfect peace, and yet the pain and the grief is real because the love I pray for these mentioned and many more. May we gather as a praying people because Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Let it begin right here in our Jerusalem. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, would you come? The altar's open. Thank you so much for watching us today.